0: And so it's just like anything else in life. You know, if you want to be an Olympian, assuming you have the talent to make that happen, you have to be willing to do the work every single day. If you want to be a a pianist at Carnegie Hall, you have to be willing to put in the work every single day to become so good that you get to be asked to be a concert pianist at Carnegie Hall. Mm -hmm. So it's no different. If you really want to lose weight, you have to want it so badly that you're willing to do the work because it is a lot harder to get the weight off than it was to put it on.
1: This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Skin skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpri.com. Today on my show, I have a very special guest. He is the creator of the Revolution Running Certification for Coaches, a USA track and field certified coach, author of over eight books and counting, I'm sure, as well as a PhD in exercise physiology. Welcome to the show today, Dr. Jason Karp.
0: All right. Nice to be here.
1: Uh, I hope uh, the weather's okay where you are. We're getting, like, getting ready to rain here. So, I hope the lighting in my office is going to maintain for our conversation here.
0: I live in San Diego, so the weather is perfect all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have a little advantage over me. I'm in the Midwest, so it's kind of up and down all the time. Um, so we'll dive right in. So you you know you've written eight books, but I saw you kind of have a few highlights. Um, and so I want to start with your book "Run Your Fat Off," uh, because you know I see all the time there's all these suggestions about. You know, eat this, do that, like all these special kind of silver bullets almost to for people to lose weight. And it seems like you've kind of distilled that down almost in the title, Run Your Fat Off. So, can you tell us, like, or tell me, you know, a little bit about like what's the premise of the book?
0: Well, I've known for a long time that running is perhaps the best way to lose weight and especially to keep the weight off. You know, for many years, you know, I've been running since I was 11 years old and I eat whatever I want, but my weight has never fluctuated. It's never changed. I still weigh the same now as I did when I was in high school, mm-hmm. even though I eat as much as I want to eat. You know, people give me a hard time because I start most days with sugar cereal breakfast. <laughs> but I've always been eating the sugar cereal breakfast and and I've never counted calories, I've never looked at how much carbohydrate or fat that I eat and so I've always known with myself that the reason why my weight has not changed all these years is because of the daily running. Mm-hmm. And so, I wanted to, to write a book about that because all the books on weight loss, most of them focus on the food, some of them focus on exercise, but none of them focus squarely on running which is the best calorie burner, there's no activity that burns as many calories as running, perhaps mm-hmm. cross-country skiing, but that's not really accessible to most people on the planet. Right running is accessible to every single human being on the planet. You don't need another person, you don't need any equipment, you just need a pair of shoes and you walk out the door and you go run wherever in the world you are. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I got the idea for the book, is that knowing how effective running is for weight loss and how it's not really been touched by anybody else, I thought, well, I'm, I'm the person to do it. And so, yeah, the whole premise of the book is using running combined with diet, because there, there are chapters in the book that talk about nutrition and there's a menu for people because you do have to control the calories coming in. Right. I mean, I have the advantage that I've never been overweight and so I never had to worry about cutting calories. But mm. people are overweight, they're going to have to cut calories in addition to running or doing some other form of exercise. Right. So, that was how I got the whole idea to write the book because you know, is so effective.
1: So, so, something I'm curious about and I, I kind of um, run into this as well, and I guess I'm pretty sympathetic to your message um, because I've also been running since I was you know 11, 12, you know, and I've also never been overweight. So it's very easy for me to go absolutely like that's right but but one of the things I kind of run into when I make a suggestion to somebody like kind of similar to to what you're making is um, how do I have the credibility to Suggest that's how they're going to burn fat since we, you know, either, neither of us have b- ever been overweight and had to take it off, like, had to t- go on that journey. So, like, how do you approach that question when somebody says to you, Well, you've never been fat and gotten skinny, you've always been skinny? Like, how do you approach that?
0: All right, I love that question because, you know, an oncologist doesn't have to have cancer in order for him to treat your cancer. Fair enough. A psychologist doesn't have to have depression in order for him to treat your depression. So I love it when I get asked that question because that just shows the ignorance of people that you know you right. don't have to be fat yourself in order to help people lose weight, just like an oncologist doesn't have to have cancer in order for him to treat your cancer.
1: That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so one of the things that, uh, and we'll get more into your other book later, but this kind of leads a little bit towards it is that I always think about you know what would the mental challenge that people go through because you know say somebody's overweight. I don't necessarily see it as a, a physical failing, and there are probably cases where it's it's a medical issue, but to me, it seems like there's something mentally missing. It's it's uh, you know could be an inability to go out and push themselves, or or you know some trauma in childhood, or, or you know we could we could dive into that if we we're psychologists. But um, do you have suggestions as far as like how do people make a mental change to? you know, actually get out the door and and stay consistent with, with running.
0: All right. Well, I mean, the first step is you have to really want it. I mean, in that book, I didn't want it to just be my voice. And so I, I went out and found people who have lost a tremendous amount of weight, mostly through running. And they all, without any prompting from me, they all said the same thing, that it took a 110% commitment from them, that mm-hmm. they want this more than anything else. And so it's just like anything else in life. You know, if you want to be an Olympian, assuming you have the talent to make that happen, you have to be willing to do the work every single day. Right. If you want to be a a pianist at Carnegie Hall, you have to be willing to put in the work every single day to become so good that you get to be asked to be a concert pianist at Carnegie Hall. Mm -hmm. So there's no difference. If you really want to lose weight, you have to want it so badly that you're willing to do the work because it is a lot harder to get the weight off than it was to put it on. And that's what the whole industry kind of, you know, understanding that people trying to sell books and trying to sell their weight loss programs, they make it sound like it's an easy thing to do. And it's not. People have to want to do this more badly than anything else they want in their lives because it's going to take a huge commitment. And so that's the first step is, you know, you have to make the decision, how badly do I want this? And am I willing to put in the work to make it happen? Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, once you gain weight, it, it, it's really hard to, to lose it. It's better to not gain it in the first place. So you don't have to have the, the huge task of having to get the weight off. Right. You now It's like smoking. Once you start smoking, it's extremely difficult to stop. The better strategy is to never start smoking in the first place. Mm-hmm. But having said that, you know, we live in a country where most people have weight to lose,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we're not solving this obesity epidemic is because it is so hard to get the weight off, and and technology works against that. You know, the way our society is moving, and the way it's always moved is, it condones a sedentary lifestyle. To mm-hmm. so to be physically active, you have to cut against the grain of society because everything we can do. I mean we have computers in the palm of our hands now with our cell phones. A person never really has to get up out of their chair to accomplish anything anymore.
1: Right. It's I mean it's point, click, order, everything can come to you pretty much. Right.
0: So that makes it even harder because now people have to cut against the grain of that
1: mm-hmm. in order to
0: do the physical work that it takes. And then the other side of the equation is with the food. I mean food's everywhere in our country. There's I mean you walk ten feet and there's another, you know, place to eat and it just our society is not set up to help people lose weight. In mm-hmm. fact, it's just the opposite.
1: So I, I'm kind of curious with with the people that you interviewed. You know, they had that motivation where, you know, the the fire always kind of I refer to it as a fire. Like the fire is burning hot. Like they're absolutely committed. Was there any kind of like um, similar train between them or like similar thread? that where that motivation came from for them or like did you discover where that motivation started for those people?
0: Yeah, for most of them, if not all of them, it was just they simply got sick and tired of being fat and out of shape and they were having medical issues. A lot of them had medical issues that Mm -hmm. see that high blood pressure, high cholesterol and they knew that they were headed for a heart attack or some other problem related to obesity. So, they just all all had the same central issue. They just they got sick and tired of being unhealthy. Mm So, they made this change, and it wasn't quick. It, was, you know, it took a long time for them to lose the weight, but they started with small changes. They started by cutting calories out of their diet and cleaning up their, their food choices. And they all started going to the gym. And they all said pretty much the same thing to me if they would get on the treadmill and they wouldn't be able to run for more than 60 seconds. And mm-hmm. then they all ended up becoming marathoners and ultra marathoners. One or two of them did a, an Ironman triathlon. And, they, if, you had get, if you had said that to them at the start of this process, they would not have believed you, they would have laughed at your face. Mm-hmm. They started very slowly, and then little by little, they tried to do more and more and more, and the body is very adaptable to endurance. You know, humans mm-hmm. are endurance animals, and, and so 60 seconds became 2 minutes, which became 3 minutes, which became a half an hour, which became yeah. an hour. And, and before you know it, they're running 26 miles running a marathon. But that process took a long time.
1: Yeah. Like motivation is always kind of interesting to me. I had a high school coach who always said that you can't coach motivation, either it's there or it's not. So it's always interesting to me to figure out, you know, especially in your case when you've talked to these people where they've been fat and then there's something almost an emotional crisis where they like something breaks or something changes, you know, switch comes on or off and it moves them in a completely different direction to where they'd been before.
0: I agree and I think that's the source of change for anybody for anything that they're doing in order to because humans don't like change so to make that change there has to be a a deep-seated reason for it there has to be an emotional connection to wanting to make that change whether it's because you are afraid of having a heart attack because you're overweight or if it's business related or you know, getting divorced or whatever it is, there's got mm-hmm. a big, this deep thing inside of you that says the risk of of making the change is better than maintaining the status quo.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So for all of those people I interviewed for the book, they all got to that point where they were willing to take the risk to make that behavioral change.
1: Do you think there's any way to? So, I mean, from what you've said, it sounds like uh, you know a lot of people you interviewed came across something medical or some, something kind of came to them that forced the change. Do you think there's any way to manufacture that? Because th- there's so many people that will start, say, start a diet or start an exercise routine and they'll fall off the wagon. Is there any way that you know of to you know, help manufacture that kind of emotional moment that gives that that inner fire to, to get going?
0: I think it's, it has to be a want. I mean, mm-hmm. Dale Carnegie talked about this in 1930 in his famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Influence someone to do something, you have to create in the other person an eager want. And so it really comes down to creating that eager want. They have to eagerly want to do it, and that's what the, that's where the fire comes from, to be motivated to continue. The reason why most New Year's resolutions fail, the reason why most people Try to lose weight and then fail because they can't keep up the habit. It's because they don't really want it. And that's really the driver of it all. It's if you mm-hmm. really want something, then motivation is not a problem. You do it every day because it's what you want to be doing every day. Right, right. People don't really want to exercise. Most people, they do it because they think they have to and they know it's good for them. It's like eating your vegetables. Yeah. You know, most people would rather have chocolate chip cookies than broccoli. But we need. <laughs> yeah. know it's good for us. We don't really want to do it. And it's the same thing with exercise. Most people don't really want to exercise. They're not in love with physical movement the way you and I are and most runners are. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I think it really all comes down to either having that want yourself or finding someone who can figure out how to create that want inside of you. Mm -hmm. The big thing that coaches do is to try to create that want inside of you. Mm-hmm. And that's what drives the motivation, but I agree that it has to come from inside of you, you can give the best pep talk of anybody in the world, but if that person doesn't have that fire inside of them, the pep talk is not going to work.
1: Yeah, I, I sometimes, like, if I'm talking to somebody who's not a runner but they're thinking about it, I, I try to come at it a bit sideways instead of just saying, "Okay, go out and run." I say, "Find a group," kind of like uh, you know when you're. Uh, I, I guess I'll go back to like my youth, like youth group at church. Kids aren't necessarily interested in the the religion at that time, but they're interested in friends. So, I think about the running and almost in the same way where it's like, go find like a social group to get you running. And then you may discover like some of the joys and benefits of running while you're in that social group and kind of build from there
0: why we see so many groups around the country. There's so many running groups right now. I mean, it's blowing up how many.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, running every place. You can join a running club, and most running shoe stores have a group that meet you know, once
1: mm-hmm.
0: a week in their store. There are running groups all over the place. It's not hard to find them.
1: Right, right. Um, so so this is kind of, I want to kind of go back a little bit. Um, it, for the most part, it sounds like your, your formula is pretty much Go run, burn calories, and then I, you know, I heard you say in another interview, don't replace those calories you just burned; otherwise, you're basically defeating the entire point. So, um, I guess the question for me is like, why do you think people make losing weight so complicated when it really just seems like it's calories in, calories out?
0: Because there's money to be made. <laughs> okay, that's really the root of it. All. That's why yeah, us all all programs, all these books. And everyone acts like, oh, my book is different than everybody else's book. I've got the answer that you need. Mm-hmm. It's, make money. I mean, it's, it really is a simple thing in theory. It's hard in practice because, like I said before, our society is not set up to lose weight.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so people go on a run, and what may take them a half an hour to burn, they can get back in a matter of seconds. And mm-hmm. so don't really. You know, they underestimate how many calories they're consuming and they overestimate how many calories they're expending. So it's very easy to get the calories right back and then the weight doesn't budge. Right. You Burn know, 300 calories but then you come inside and have a glass of juice and a handful of pretzels, you get the calories right back and then your weight doesn't go anywhere. So that's why it has to come from both sides. You have to expend a lot of calories and you still have to cut how many calories are coming in the door because otherwise your weight's not going to move.
2: Right, right.
0: But yeah, people try to complicate it simply because there's a lot of money to be. Remember, the weight loss industry is a multi-billion-dollar-a-year industry. Mm-hmm. Money to be made off of convincing people that you've got the solution.
1: Yeah, and so instead of making it very simple, right. um, so thinking again back back to the the people you talked to, where you said you know they get on the treadmill and they can't run for sixty seconds, or maybe that's all they can do, and they build up over time. You know. Uh, I've coached some athletes, and I've had various teammates over the years, um, as well as kind of friends that have gone on weight loss journeys. So I've I've seen, uh, I guess, a, a whole spectrum of athletes, and it seems like everybody, myself included, and probably yourself, deal with kind of negative mental talk from time to time. To me, it seems like that's that's going to be even more so the case with somebody who hasn't you know run before, or is you know has this whole weight to Way to lose this kind of transformation. So, do you have any suggestions in the book, or I guess personally, for how people could deal with negative, like negative self-talk? Like, how do you cope with those thoughts that creep in?
0: I, mean, I think uh, everybody deals with that from time to time, and you know, tend to be hard on themselves. So, whether mm. it's a or whatever you're trying to accomplish, I mean, even I myself, working for myself, I I deal with rejection and failure every single day. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's hard sometimes to not get down on yourself, but but the way I deal with it and the way I suggest others is to always keep the ultimate goal in mind and then never move that ultimate goal. It's always there. You may have to take a different route to get there. It's not going to be a straight path. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's never a straight path. Ask any entrepreneur, they'll tell you it's never a straight path.
2: Yep.
0: You just have to keep that goal in mind and then focus on the individual tasks every single day. that. Help you to move closer to that goal, despite all the setbacks. You know, maybe you find another way around the barrier that's being put up in front of you. But always keep the goal in mind, and then even though you have this big picture, you got to focus on the, the daily small tasks to help you achieve that big picture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, if it's something like weight loss, well, what can I do today to help me achieve that goal of losing a hundred pounds in a year? You know, there are specific things that I can do today. Focus on those things, and then when tomorrow comes, what can I do tomorrow? Which is now today. What can I do today to make that goal happen? And if you focus on those individual tasks, then that helps to to get away around that you know always feeling sorry for yourself or or those uh, you know that little voice in your head saying you can't do this, and just you know, block that out and focus on the specific tasks that you have to accomplish every day.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not particularly religious, but the, the way um, you're talking about it reminds me of this Buddhist lecture I, I heard once that describes life almost as a river. Like I use this analogy all the time. It's you know you have a destination, you're here at A and you want to go to B and sometimes the river, river winds and it sends you a direction you don't intend that you're going, but all you have to do is keep paddling and like trust that the river will get you you know to where you're going
0: agree, that's a great analogy. That, uh, so. Maybe that's my personality too, that I'm a very task oriented person. I ask myself, mm-hmm. hey, okay, what do I need to do today to move my needle forward? What do yep. you know I need to or what tasks do I have to accomplish? And then before you know it, that one day is a hundred days, and in a hundred days, you know, then you've accomplished something.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: A hundred days is three thousand days, but you just gotta take it one day at a time, because you can't control tomorrow when you're, t- when you're on today. All you right. can do today, all you can show is your behavior today. And so that helps with uh, the, all the rejection and the failure and thinking negatively. That helps a lot with that. It's just keep focused on what needs to be done every single day to help you reach what,
1: where you want to reach. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it makes sense that you'd be pretty task oriented. Like, I don't think you'd finish eight books if, you, if you're not very, like, this is what needs to be done today. So I think your kind of track record speaks for itself in that case. Um, so, you know, I know you advocate running. So say somebody doesn't like running. I think, I, I think we're kind of on the same page of like, if you don't like running, that's fine. Don't make yourself run. If you don't run, you don't like to run, but like, um, say somebody can't or doesn't like to run, what would be another, like one or two sports suggestions or, or activities you think would be also like high calorie burning that would be anywhere close to, to what running is? I,
0: mean, I give this suggestion the book because even though I love running and you love running, I know that there are a lot of people who just don't like it, I mean, it's kind yeah. of a love thing. People either love it, I mean really love it, or people just they don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. But the trick is to find something that you love to do, it doesn't necessarily have to be running, I and mean, running just happens to be a very good calorie burner. Mm-hmm. Find something you love to do, if you love to swim, then swim, if you love to ride your bike out in the countryside, then ride your bike out in the countryside but find something that fulfills you and then do that every day for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. there are plenty of people who have lost weight not running so there are other activities that people can do of course it just so happens that running burns a lot of calories but to give a recommendation you you, you can do bicep curls all day long but that's not going to help you lose weight because the biceps is a pretty small muscle and so it doesn't burn a lot of calories when you're using it Mm -hmm. so you have to use a lot of muscle so that's why I like swimming and even cycling. It's not that great unless you do it for very long periods of time because you're yeah. sitting down It's it's mostly quad dominant activity. And so you want to do something that's total body weight, that's preferably weight bearing because those are the kinds of activities like circuit training where you might mix some cardio type activities with strength training, like whole body strength training. Like I know mm-hmm. people do burpees. You, know, you can do something like burpees or quad <laughs> jumps or, or something that gets your whole body involved Okay. those of workouts, those are the kinds of exercises that burn more calories. You know, just taking a resistance band and doing bicep curls isn't going to be that effective.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, this is kind of a shot in the dark. Are you familiar with uh, Ido Portal? And he has like, so he's this, I'll say it as a no, but his, he, he's like, almost a guru style person, but he's like has this whole movement of just like get up and move. Where he doesn't have like a, a fitness regimen so to speak, and he's not selling anything, but he has like a cult-like following. Where, he just gets up and just does. He could be, doing like, um, he could be running one day, or he could be, you know, at an outdoor gym another day. I you might want to check him out. It's Ido and Portal, like Portal. Um, he's a pretty interesting guy. Who's just like, his fitness regimen changes constantly. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I'm not sure what his calorie burning is, but um, he might be he might be interesting for you to talk to or connect with at some point. i check him out. <laughs> um, so I want to get into the meat and potatoes a little bit here because this is – so you wrote the book, The Inner Runner, and this is something I don't think is talked about enough. Like in the fitness industry, we talk about you know, this is how you burn calories and this is how you lose weight, and these are the kind of foods you need to get these macros and these nutrients and and all the kind of I'll say quantifiable things that are much easier to kind of study in a lab. But we don't talk as much about like the, the mind-body connection and kind of what goes on behind the scenes up here that gets us actually out and going. So I'm really glad you actually wrote the book. Unfortunately we made this interview so quickly I didn't have a time to read it, so I'm going to. Um, but I want to ask you the the vague question, which I told you before, is not super serious, but is running a religion. And, you know, there's so many people that kind of follow it in like almost cult-like status. So I don't want to get your thoughts on is is running a religion.
0: It can be viewed as such. I mean, some people view not so much the running per se, but what they get out of it is their higher power, their search for meaning, the way people search for meaning from a god or some other higher power. Mm-hmm. So in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people pray to running the way they pray, right? but yeah, some people they do view running as as their higher meaning and what they what they get out of it.
1: So I kind of want to. I'm kind of interested in you personally. I mean, I live to myself, so I know what I've gotten out of running. But I mean, you've been running since you were eleven, twelve, somewhere around there. So, like, over the years, can you talk about a little bit? like what have you discovered about yourself? What have you found through running that's not necessarily running related, I guess?
0: Well, a lot of things. I mean, one of the major things I talk about in the book is this ability to deal with discomfort Mm -hmm. and what it teaches you about yourself and about life. Because like every time you do an interval workout, I mean, I just did an interval workout yesterday on the track actually, and every time I do an interval workout, every time I run a race, you know, go, you know before you even start it, it's going to be physically uncomfortable. I mean, mm-hmm. running as fast as you can is uncomfortable, but in that moment is a chance for you to learn about who you are and reach for who you want to be. You know, I always talk about how running helps you to narrow the gap between who you are and who you want to be. and It's a very decisive moment. When you're in the middle of a race and it's physically uncomfortable, what do you do? Do you back mm-hmm. off that discomfort to make it a little easier, or do you push through that to find out what's on the other side? And that's that's a life lesson, because life is uncomfortable, you know, people will die in your life, chances are you're going to have some sickness as you get to the end of your life. You're If you have children and your children are hurting, that hurts you as a parent, and there are going to be tragedies that you're going to have to deal with throughout life. And, and the strength that you acquire through running and remembering those moments of what did you do when you got physically uncomfortable in the race, how did you approach that, that can help you deal with discomfort in every other area of your life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Get the strength from running and take that to these other areas of life. So that's one big thing that running has taught me. I mean, I've lost both of my parents, i lost my father before I became a runner, I was only eight years old when my father passed away. Mm-hmm. I lost my mother in 2010 when I was 37 and toward the end of her life, you know, she spent the last two weeks of her life in the hospital in New Jersey and I, I flew back home to, to see her and and every morning before I went to go see her in the hospital, I went for a run because I knew that that was my way to steal myself and to strengthen myself so that I could be strong for my mother because she was gone. And I think about that a lot. You know, my mother had uh, breast cancer that spread to her bone, and so she was in a lot of pain toward the end of her life. And,
2: and I keep thinking, you know, if my mother
0: could deal with the pain of bone cancer, certainly I can deal with the pain of running a race. That's mm-hmm. painer you know, compared to what she was having to go through. So I think about these things. You know, when I'm in a race, you know, I think about you know what my mother went through, and, and that helps me to push just a little bit harder. Because you know that's not—it's—it's you know, it's much less pain than having to go through what she went through, and mm-hmm. so that's one big thing that I think running has taught me and it teaches a lot of other people on how to deal with that discomfort and how to push through that.
1: It's almost like that. It's, to me, it's almost like um, like an emotional resilience, where you know you know it's going to hurt, like you said. I guess I think of personally, I think of um, running in the best runners as people that are forgetful because they forget how much it hurt last time so that they're prepared to make it hurt just as hard or more this time. Yeah, I
0: agree.
1: So I'm kind of curious if I have a theory, I guess, that the best runners are not necessarily running away from something, but there's I think a little bit of fear or maybe a little bit of self-loathing that like that already gives them that emotional resilience that ability to tolerate pain because it already exists within them. And again, this is a theory. I don't have to test it tested on anything, but it seems like there's there's so many stories of people that come from a you know, background where they grew up with nothing and and running was their outlet and it's like they already had this very difficult life and it, it kind of enabled them to run harder than anybody else. Do you Have you encountered anybody like that? Do you see any kind of pattern like that? Or do you think I'm just out like blown in the wind?
0: I don't know. I think that's true for a lot of people. I mean, it wasn't true for me because I just I started as a kid running track and I was just mm-hmm. drawn to the sport. But yeah, I think that's why it's a common reason for people to seek out running when they have some tragedy. I mean, you hear this all the time about people get divorced and how do they deal with that divorce? They go run. and. Mm-hmm. and a lot of people do that with a midlife crisis as well. I mean, They, they want to run a marathon to cure their midlife crisis.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that that, that uh, reason for running is is very common, that people have this either tragedy or like you said, they grow up with this very difficult life and running is their outlet to find themselves amidst all this tragedy and pain they're going through. They seek out running as a way to literally be free from all of it. You know, one example I think off the top of my head. I had the chance to meet uh, Jerry Lindgren in, in Hawaii when I was mm-hmm. there to teach my certification course. And for your audience who doesn't know, you know, Jerry Lindgren was a phenomenal runner back in the 1960s. He was the, the best high school runner in the country and mm-hmm. phenomenal. And uh, he was like that. He had uh, abusive parents. He told me this story. I went for a run with him, and he was telling me the story about he had you know abusive father and a mother who pretty much condoned it and and he just walked out the door to go run to escape what was going on at home. Yeah. You no, know, I mean he ended up becoming this amazing runner. But you know, and he was a scrawny kid. He got picked on. He still looks kind of scrawny now. He's you know about seventy. Years old, then you'll be look at him. I mean, he's he's this frail little guy. He was like that as a kid too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he uh, he had that that hard life. You know, he didn't like what was going on at home, and it wasn't a comfortable place for him to be.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: he just left his house to go run, you know, and made him a star, but, you know, a lot of people have that same situation where they use running as an escape from the rest of their lives, because the only time that you can be alone in your head, you know, and and feel free, running is very freeing, it's who we are as animals, when animals run, they're free, they're free from captivity, and and so I think that's why running gets to the, the primal source of who we are, there's a lot of connection between humanity and, and running and love and those things come from the same source.
1: Yeah, and that's why I, I'm sure you've read Born to Run because um, almost everybody's read it. I feel like that was the part that, you know, it, there's a whole cultural movement and they got stuck on running barefoot when I feel like they missed the part about that book where it was like, no, look, like, look at the title. Like, it's it's this genetic predisposition like, this is who we are as animals we're we're born to run not forget about the the, the barefoot part like focus on the realization that, that you're, you know you're you're born to move like that
0: when i teach my courses that that people seem to forget that uh, running is who we are as animals all mammals run i mean that's we evolved There's a lot of research looking on the evolution of human beings and why we are built the way we are, why we have this arch on the foot, why our lungs have this enormous surface area with a very thin wall to help with the exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen, Mm -hmm. why we have 60,000 miles worth of capillaries to perfuse our muscle fibers. Our our body is the way it is because we evolved to run, especially long distances. Humans are are the best long-distance running animals. We can outrun other animals to death, they can out-sprint us, but we can run them to death,
1: right? And this is something. So this is something I kind of think about from time to time. And I don't know that I necessarily have an answer. So I apologize. That I don't have an answer. I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, do you know why you run? Not necessarily in the sense that oh, it's just habit. But like, is there a fundamental reason that you get up? I'll say every day, but you know what I mean. Whatever your schedule is, is there is there a deep seated reason? that you actually get up and get out the door and and run?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I try to answer that a little bit in the book and I think at this point in my life I think I don't question anymore. It's just it's so much a part of who I am. I mean it's Mm -hmm. so ingrained as to who I am and it's also my career. But growing up, the reason I I think I was just drawn to it is because of this this primal feeling that all other stuff. I also played a lot of baseball when I was a kid and even though I'm a fan of other sports and enjoy playing them, nothing seems to get at who we are as animals the way running does. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I enjoy it so much that this freedom of just putting one leg in front of the other and it's all about you and, and how it feels, especially when you run fast. You know, like I've always been enamored with pure speed and I just I love to run very fast because of it just it feels good. It yeah. feels like me being an animal let it being let out of its cage. And it just, I, I can't imagine my life without that feeling, that fluidity of movement, which, by the way, gets harder to feel when you get older. I mean, I don't feel it <laughs> when I was younger and I was faster. Yeah. But you st- it's still, there's, there's nothing I've ever found that replaces that fluidity of movement and what it feels like when you're fit and fast. That, it just feels good. And yeah, it's uh, sure. If you talk about running as an addiction, you do get addicted to it. And it's, you know, it is kind of like a drug, and it is the best way to get fit. And if you people are really interested in getting fit and getting fit as fast as possible, an interval running workout beats everything else. There's nothing else that can. When you ask any coach of any sport, what do you do to get your athletes fit? You have them run an interval workout. Mm. The best way to get so you get addicted to that fitness, and yeah, it's it's an addiction at this point.
1: I think I can, you know, I'll sympathize, sympathize with that. It's a very easy conversation because we, we agree on so many points. I know or like early on when I was running in high school, I and I don't know whether my teammates experienced this, so maybe they didn't, and that's why they stopped running and I continue, but sometimes it would almost feel like um, my mind would kind of melt away and I would just become motion. like when I'm out running, it's not a magical like it happens every time for me but it, it would be a, a matter of just the uh, conscious thoughts aren't there anymore like I'm rhythm my motion in, in a very pure sense and I, I think I became a little bit addicted to that uh, among other things so I, um, I hope you've ex- you probably experienced that at some point or another. Of course
0: yeah I mean everyone's heard of the run with high and there is a physiology behind that. There's a release of, I mean, people think it's endorphins, but it's actually opioids and cannabinoids, mm-hmm. and so it is a little bit like getting a shot of morphine, and so uh, there is this this biochemical part of it which you don't get in other activity. No one's ever heard of the weightlifter's high, you know, it seems to be something that is specific to running. Mm-hmm. And non-runners have heard of this runner's high, it's become a term in our language, and so, uh, yeah, there is there's biochemistry behind it, too, and that probably also, you know, is what causes some of this addiction, or the nature of running, is, is this runner's high, and how you do feel like you're, you know, on a subconscious level, and thoughts can come to you, like, lots of times thoughts come to me when I'm running, they don't come to me the rest of the day.
2: mm mm-hmm.
0: You know, and it's just interesting, like, I, you know, a lot of that book, The Inner Runner, I, kind of wrote it in my head. And then when I got home after my run, I would make sure I wrote things down so I didn't forget it. Mm-hmm. You could think about these things when you're running that for some reason the thoughts don't come as, as easily the rest of the day.
1: So, I'm kind of curious if you, this is another thing I'm, I'm hoping you've experienced is like, when you're getting ready to taper, you know, and I think about this because of the almost addictive nature of running. And the actual, you know, dopamine that you're getting when you're tapering, you don't get that as much. Do you get ever get? Um, sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's anxiety. Do you ever get that when you taper, and like, how do you cope with that if if that happens to you?
0: Well, I think for me, it might be different than others because I know the science behind it, and so mm-hmm. I know what I need to do to run the best I can on the day that it counts. Mm-hmm. For other people, you know, they may have more anxiety about it because even though people, you know, they know in theory that they should taper, but they may not know the specific reasons of what's going on inside of their body when they're tapering and why it's so good for them, and and so that may cause them more anxiety, but for me I've never had that problem only because, I guess that's the scientist in me, that I know (laughs) know the reason for it, so I know it's going to help me and that relieves all the anxiety, I know it's what I'm supposed to be doing.
1: So, your secret's almost like knowledge is power, like once you understand what's uh, going on.
0: I've always taught that. I mean, that's why I went to 13 years of college to become, because I've always believed that knowledge is power. Yeah, when right. I was a kid. And so, I wanted to make myself as knowledgeable as, as possible, so I could be more powerful.
1: Fair enough. Um, so, you kind of touched on this a, a minute ago, and you're not you're not old in any sense of the word, but as far as like uh, running is concerned, you are a little past prime years now. I'll, I'll, you have opinions on um, the peak age, but typically I, I'll say 35 plus or minus five years. So how do you deal with, I guess, getting older and not necessarily physically. I guess it could be physically, but mentally, like, you know, I think I either read an article from you or saw an interview. Or listen to an interview where you're talking about trying to, you know, catch up with the younger you. Like, how do you, how do you stay in the game? You know, because the, the fastest times are behind you. So how do you, how do you stay motivated?
0: That's has so hard for me because, you know, most runners they always want to keep getting faster. That's what drives mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I realize at this age that my fastest races are behind me. But now, I just try to take it year by year and I think, well, right, how fast can I get in this year because I know that I'm not going to get faster than I used to be at this age. Mm-hmm. still trying to become as fast as I can be for the age that I am and that's what drives me. Right. You know, I've never run to just run. I've always run with a goal in mind. I'm always trying to get faster. That's why I keep doing the interval training and I do all the other workouts because I still want to get as fast as I can be now, whatever that is. I have ideas in my head of what I would like to accomplish this year or next year but I also realize um, with every passing year it gets harder because I am getting older and, and so you know, everybody slows down as they get older,
2: Yeah.
0: so I just focus on well, what can I do now to try to be as fast as I can be in three months or in six months and, and mm-hmm. that's what forward. so the goals are a little different it's hard every time I do an interval workout or a race and think geez at the same effort, I used to be running a lot faster. Mm-hmm. To keep thinking that, but that's what humans do. We naturally compare it to our younger selves and you know, but I just have to accept that, that age is always going to influence performance more than I can train as smart as anybody in the world, but I'm not going to be able to overcome the fact that you know, my physiology is not the same as it was when I was 25 years old.
1: Do you feel like I mean, are you doing a similar kind of training regimen now as you were when you were twenty or twenty five, or do you have to modify like you you know you do less intervals or you do more fartlicks or or you know how how does your training changed if it's changed kind of over the years?
0: Yeah well now it's funny you're asking a question because I have been experimenting with doing a little bit different things now to see if I can try to get back some of that speed that I used to have. and and so, uh, you know, I've always run six days a week. Currently, I'm running five. I figure I'll take one more. Because the biggest thing that changes when you get older is the recovery in between hard workouts.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When I was a teenager, you could do three hard workouts a week. We were racing all the time when I was in high school. I grew up on the East Coast. We had cross-country season, indoor track, and outdoor track. So all school year long, you're racing. And then yep. you make road races in the summertime to have yep. So you're racing all the time but your body recuperates very quickly and so you don't notice the the fatigue that accumulates and so as I've gotten older you know I realized that I can't do the faster workouts as often so I take more time in between interval workouts and now I'm experimenting with cutting back to five days a week of running instead of six to give my body an extra day of recovery you know I'd rather run the six days a week but I'm trying things I'm willing to try some things to see if that will help me in the long term and, and be able to run as fast as I can. Mm-hmm. I've also recently tried uh, some strength training which I've uh, you know people know if they've read my books or heard me speak, they know that I'm not really a big fan of strength training for distance running performance. You know, I believe you should run more and, and make the, the running training as best as you can before you try to do something ancillary to that. Right. But as we get older, you know, we do lose the power, we do lose the speed. And maybe, I don't know, I'm going to try this experiment with myself. Maybe we can get some of that back with very heavy strength training. So it's not the, you know, going into the gym, lifting, you know, lifting weights for 15 or 20 reps. That stuff's not going to help at all. But the very heavy lifting, the power type lifting, that stuff may, because it trains the fast twitch muscle fibers. And -hmm. and I'll see with myself if that does translate to faster races. It may or may not, but I'm willing to try some things as I get older that I never did when I was younger. I just yeah. ran all the time Yeah, I was get away with that. So yeah, training does change as you get older and the significant change in a person's training is the recovery time in between harder efforts. You can't do any workouts as often as you can when you're younger.
1: Right. I'm kind of curious, um, so like I work with a coach now and I do more triathlon than anything. Um as compared to like running higher mileage during college. Um, we do a lot of like rate of perceived exertion workouts where I'm not necessarily clock watching so much, but because I have that experience in the years of running, he can say, Okay, I want you to run threshold or I want you to run tempo or whatever and kind of gives me free reign. Do you use RPE for your training or are you still clock watching for, you know, your intervals?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, for the intervals, yeah, for my all, the, all my easy runs, I've never, I mean I'm very low tech when it comes to running, maybe it's because I didn't grow up with it, so I don't have a GPS, I don't mm-hmm. wear a GPS to run, I have no idea what pace I'm running, but when I do specific workouts, like a threshold workout or intervals, then I'm usually on the track, and so yeah. I'm just using a stopwatch and I'm timing it, and I'm trying to hit certain times, so those I will monitor by the pace, but all the other easy runs, yeah, I'm just, going however my legs feel. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not going to pace at all
1: on, on, you know, on my easy days. I'm kind of familiar. I, I'm curious if you're familiar with this idea. I don't, can't remember where I read it, but I really stuck with it that there was this idea that there are three types of runners. Um, let's see if I remember this. The scientist, the chemist, and the artist. The scientist lives and dies by the numbers. The chemist lives and dies by their nutrition and an artist feels how they run. And typically, the best runners are artists. Um, so, that's why I'm curious about like the RPE. And um, have you heard that before? Are you kind of familiar with the idea that I'm talking about? where it's like some people always have to have that GPS, like they don't have any sense of pacing.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that's why the people I coach, I actually am trying to encourage them to leave the GPS at home, because that's exactly what happens. They don't develop that internal clock. mm-hmm you're a really good run. You should be able to tell somebody, go out and run at 7-minute mile pace, or go run at 6-minute mile pace, and they shouldn't have to look at their watch to do it. They should know what the pace feels like. And nowadays, with all the technology, I would bet that most people would not be able to run at a given pace, based on how it feels, because they do rely on their GPS too much. But yeah, it's funny you bring up the RPE, because I was just in Kenya in February for two weeks. And that's exactly how they train, because you know they're so poor, they don't have GPS monitors, they don't have heart mm. rate monitors, they, you know, they don't They don't have all this technology over there. Yeah. And so, yeah, every day they're running, it's completely by feel. They do a fartlek every Thursday, it's pretty famous in E10, Kenya, they run the famous E10 fartlek, it gets 200 plus people that all come out to run this fartlek, and they run on these uh, country roads, it's a uh, red dirt, rocky trail roads, mm. they pave the roads over there. And uh, they're just out running, and it's all by feel. They push the pace, they back off, they push the pace, they back off. There's no timing going on. Mm-hmm. and There is a lot to be said for that. Arthur Lydiard back in the, the 1950s and 60s, that's how he trained his athletes. He had these this, he didn't call it a rating of perceived exertion, but he would say, like, go at half effort, or go at three-quarter effort, or go at 90 mm-hmm. effort. And then they would do time trials, but they wouldn't go all out for a time trial. They would do it at a either an 80 or 90% effort time trial. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to be said for learning the pace and learning how you feel and uh, not relying too much on the technology. It's always been interesting with the technology that, you know, and again, a lot of it's marketing because no one's getting faster by wearing these GPS's. Right. We had faster runners at the top. We actually had more marathoners who were very, very fast in the 1980s than we have now for both men and women. You know, in Boston, just the other day, we had two guys under 210, and everyone's like, oh my god, we have two guys under 210, that's fantastic. Back in the 1980s, we had a lot of guys under 210. And so, the same thing with women. We had more women under 230 for the marathon in the 1980s than we have now. Mm -hmm. So all this technology is not, despite what these companies say, it's not making people faster. It's not making the masses faster. The average time in the marathon, half marathon is actually getting slower because now more people are doing it. So I don't know why people are so drawn to the GPSs because it's not helping. It's not making them faster because they don't really know how to use it. They're not educated enough to know how to use it to their benefit. Mm-hmm. They just to their pace and they compare one run to the other. And so yeah, I can talk
1: all day about that. <laughs> I love RPE, it's like the GPS, I almost feel like it's, it's a couple of things. I feel like it's a crutch a little bit where like I have a friend um, who ran with me in college and he, he has no sense of pacing at all. Like he, he's tied to his watch. He, he has to use it to know, you know, if we're going to go out and run seven minute pace, like he has to have that otherwise he can't feel it. But I was always, I would leave the watch at home if I could, we do timed runs now with my coach. So if I don't already have a, you know, a route where I'm like, okay, I know, like, I just moved to a new house. And now I know from my house to this certain place, it, it takes me roughly seven and a half minutes at my easy pace. So if I have a 15 minute run, it's an easy out and back, but i have tied to it now. But um, it, it's this sense that that the, the GPS is like, almost a silver bullet, like it's going to solve all of your problems, it's going to tell you all this data, and he'll make you faster. When in reality, it's like, it, it's weakening the muscle up here, which is really what should be doing the pacing instead of the GPS and satellite.
0: I agree completely with that. Especially when it comes to racing, because the biggest mistake people make when they run a race, whether it's a mile or a marathon, they go out too fast. Mm-hmm. But if you develop this keen sense of pace, you don't make that mistake but they're making a mistake because they let their adrenaline get in the way, their emotions get in the way, and everyone else goes out too fast, and so that draws you out with them. Mm -hmm. People don't have this keen sense of pace because they rely
1: too much on the GPS. See, and I wish people would learn more too. I'm not as good now as I was in college, but it's always fun. There's there's a certain like fun sense to letting everybody run out, and saying, "Well, I'm going to do my own thing," and then you reel them in as the race goes on. Like there's something intoxicating about that because you're not getting passed; like you're chunking people along as the as it goes by because you stuck to your pace. Right,
0: exactly.
1: So, exactly. um, yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit. I saw a like a uh, I guess I'll say a pop up on your site just before this um, interview. And I don't know if it's a whole new book. Or if it was just a uh, just like a I want to say a uh, like a digital copy, but it looked like you co-authored a new book, Running for Women. So, Actually, yeah, that, I think that's 2012. Uh, can you say that again? I didn't get you. I came out
0: in 2012. Okay,
1: so I just missed it. That was the case. Um, so this is something I, I saw it, and I was like, I had to ask you about it because, you know, I'm sure you're aware of there is all say a cadre of people that are trying to suggest that men and women are the same. So, I kind of want to ask you, you know, why is a book specifically for women even necessary?
0: Good question because too many women train the same way as men. But uh, there's a lot of things that women have to deal with that men never do. Mm -hmm. The men's cycle is a big one and the fluctuation of estrogen and progesterone and how that influences different aspects of a woman's physiology and then of course pregnancy and menopause men never have to deal with these things Mm -hmm. and these things have great implications for how a woman should train the whole idea for the book came about because of uh, the menstrual cycle and then we added other things in it we added a chapter on pregnancy and older women runners and and menopause and, and all these other issues too but I've always been fascinated with women's physiology and the, the undulation of progesterone, and estrogen and how that affects different aspects of a woman's physiology and how women can exploit that and do certain kinds of training at this time of the month and other kinds of training at that time of the month and when they should back off and when they should push the work and because there's a lot there to really sink your teeth into and most women never take that into consideration when they train. They just do the same work. Like if men and women are trained together in a group, then the women will do the same workout in the same way that the men do it. At the same, Day of the week, the same time of the month—it doesn't matter, and it does matter. And if women understood that, then they can exploit that, and that would help them become better runners.
1: Um, and I don't mean this in a cliched way, but I, I kind of think back to some of my coaches who have—some have been better, some have been worse at coaching men versus women. Do you do you see um, do you see a psychological difference in terms of like how you should approach? coaching with women and like how you motivate them
0: very much so I mean for me I think that's even harder than the the physiological part of coaching men versus women there are things you can say to men that you can't say to women because of the way they perceive it you know women are more emotional I'm making generalizations of course but women do tend to be emotional about things than men are men you can talk more directly to you know men think more logically oftentimes more rationally and women you know, every part of their life comes together. Men are able to compartmentalize things better than women. Whereas women, you know, everything in their life affects everything else. And so that also affects their running. If they're having a hard time in their relationship, that affects their running. Whereas men are better sometimes at at really focusing on specific things at the time. And maybe it's because women are more talented and they can you know everyone knows that women are good at multitasking and men aren't as good at that. And so, yeah, the emotional aspect of coaching women versus men and how I speak to women versus men is very different, and it's hard. As a guy, I'm a very rational, logical person, and and I'm also very direct. that's a New Yorker in me, and and I realize that I can't say things in that way to women the way I can to men. And so, that part of coaching is, is a challenge, and I often have to watch what I say and how I say it to a woman. Because I think I'm just stating a fact. Whereas a woman takes it as, oh, he doesn't have confidence in me. What happened? Why am I not good anymore? Whereas a guy would never think that.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I would be like, F you, I don't care. You know, and A woman is, <laughs> she just takes things a different way. And, you know, sometimes women, I don't want to say they're, I don't want to say they're in, more insecure than men, but as a group, Especially, I think social media makes it worse, Yeah, I think in general, women are more insecure than men. You know, men have this bravado, they have this aggressiveness, they have this confidence, whereas women, I think this is why women are always trying to build each other up. You know, it's all this women's empowerment stuff that you see on social media and in the general media, you don't need to see that with men. Men never have to try to empower other men. We don't need that. We already can do it. We're already cocky to begin with. But. Men are not like that to begin with, and it's harder in that sense because of how they do perceive things and and how they do get more emotional and perhaps maybe because they are naturally more insecure than men are.
1: Yeah, I, I don't have any data to back this up, but I I do. It does seem like social media is making like the kind of pressure on women to conform to a certain image or a certain look or a certain style is. Right. kind of intensified beyond what was just, you know, magazines or mainstream TV before. It's it's this constant bombardment almost now that that is it's pervasive in almost everything.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think that really affects women in a negative way because they they see the way women look on Instagram. They see these fitness models on Instagram and then they feel bad about their own body because they don't look like these people they see on Instagram. Yeah. It's the same thing with running. You know, people see these runners in the workout, people always post their workout. Why is she able to run that fast? And I'm not. But a guy doesn't think that
1: way.
0: You know? Yeah. And, yeah. I think that's it just feeds into women's insecurity because it's in your face all the time now.
1: I want to try to be a little mindful of your time. So I, I have one question I like to ask everybody because it's it's kind of universal, and that is if you can only eat one thing for recovery for the rest of your life, what would that one thing be?
0: Well, I have to promote my own research and say chocolate milk. Okay. <laughs> chocolate milk is high in carbohydrate, high in protein, So, it, and those are the two major nutrients you need to recover as quickly as possible. So, chocolate milk is an ideal post-workout recovery
1: drink. I'm, I'm glad somebody's got data to back it up because I always thought it was hearsay and so I'm glad somebody's actually done the research.
0: (laughs) We were actually, I did that research when I was working on my PhD at Indiana University and we were the first ones to publish research on the effectiveness of chocolate milk. And since then that was published in 2006, since then a lot of other studies have come out and they found the same thing that we did and so that's why now like at the ends of these major marathons you see they hand out chocolate milk and a lot of people have now jumped on the chocolate milk bandwagon but there is a lot of research to support it because of its, it's... Got all the nutrients you need to recover quickly.
1: I mean, it's always great to have something like delicious that also is good for you. So I'm <laughs> glad the science backs that up. Um, Dr. Jason, if one of people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you?
0: Um, go by email, Jason at run-fit.com, or my website, run-fit.com.
1: Sounds good. Thanks for coming on today, Dr. Jason.
0: Thank you very much. It was fun.